At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Taking the Higher Road, a driver reach and freight waves production. I'm Leah Shaver, president and CEO of the National Transportation Institute. In Jeremy's absence, I'm thrilled to be your host for what I know will be a very nice conversation today. On this show, we interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insight to the driver life cycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. Your feedback is very important to us. Please remember to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you are using to listen. Today, I'll be chatting with Brad Ball, the president of Roadmaster, one of the largest CDL training networks in the U.S. Brad, I'm really looking forward to our conversation and hearing your thoughts on all topics surrounding our industry's important pipeline of newcomers looking for a home in trucking. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Leah. It's good talking to you. It's good to see you again. We have a lot to cover. I'm going to get right into it. I do plan to delve into your background, your long tenure at Roadmaster, and how you've seen change in the industry over the last 30 years. But right now, I want to dive right into a topic that's been on our mind a lot at NTI lately. I write a monthly column in our blog on driverwages.com. And of course, I also posted at length about this on LinkedIn, so you may have already seen it. I want to hear your hot take. The value of new entrant drivers, those just weeks or months out of a CDL program who have little to no experience as a professional driver, but are entering the industry to gain the experience and find a career here. With demand lessened in the freight market, driver supply has loosened, and there seems to be an ongoing retreat from many companies with, it, with regard to hiring or considering those drivers as hireable. And they're pulling back on their investment in that area, save for what some refer to as mega carriers or quote unquote starter companies. So to jump right into a big topic here, what are your thoughts on that? Tell us your opinion on the value of industry newcomers to trucking, even if they don't have the experience requirements that so many companies demand. Uh, the simple answer is there would be no experienced drivers in the world without entry level drivers. At some point, every driver has to drive their first mile. And we've seen countless examples of the freight industry changing its hiring models over the years, according to demand. Um, when freight volume declines, carriers need less drivers and reduce their hiring. Um, and it's certainly easier to hire an experienced driver than to hire and train an entry-level driver. Um, so when demand decreases, some carriers can get all the volume they need from experienced driver pool. They'll do just that. If they had a school open, sometimes they'll close that school. Uh, we've seen that quite a bit. Um, in our case, we've had a long-term view. We've been here over 30 years, and we've got some great long-standing relationships with carriers that have uh, training programs, but have long-term views towards hiring students as a significant portion of their base. Um, and they'll continue doing that uh, under any market conditions. Um, so as a result, our graduates today have great career opportunities. So following up on that question and answer, what's your pitch to a company that's about to invest in the new driver to balance the short-term risk with long-term reward? Well, um, 
the the shortage hasn't gone away. It's 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 muted right now for sure. But um, even the ATA estimates that the driver shortage is still sixty four thousand drivers, um, and the underlying shortage still exists and will come back strong. Uh, the the number is of course one hundred sixty thousand, perhaps short in the next decade. Um, but to keep up, the the trucking industry needs to hire over a million drivers in the next ten years. And that's the bottom line. So to be prepared for that, I think carriers need to understand they are not likely to get what they need from the experienced driver pool. Um, I think the average age of truck driver is in late 40s to early 50s. Um, many of them are retiring or preparing to leave the workplace. So hiring only experienced drivers isn't going to solve it. Um, I, I would just say that to live only in the experienced driver space would be ignoring the long-term reality. I, I, it makes me think that maybe we should title this taking the long road instead of taking the higher road today. We'll call it yeah. taking the long road with Brad Ball. Okay, so we dive right in. Um, we're in the deep end, and I want to take a step back and talk about you and your career so that you can properly introduce yourself to our audience. You've been with Roadmaster a long time, yes? Yes, I have. All right. I think it's... Years, I think. Wow. Quite a long time. So tell us how you wound up at Roadmaster, your career arc at the company to become president. And most importantly, you've mentioned a little bit about um, demand ebbing and flowing. You've seen a lot of things change in the industry, specifically related to driver training and hiring from the late 90s all the way now into the 2020s. So tell us a little bit about that. Um, okay. I, I had a finance background from uh, FSU and doing some consulting. I was hired on to uh, established uh, uh, Roadmaster's early student financing models back when Roadmaster had uh, a little bit, I think we had just opened our second school. Um, and and I, then I contributed to many of the budgetary and policy and management decisions as we grew the company. Uh, and then um, Roadmaster was acquired uh, by Warner in 2015, at which point I became president then. Um, as far as how things have changed in the industry related to driver training and hiring, um, you know, I remember carriers that really had uh, very low guidelines as far as hiring, and they would hire people with, with some pretty significantly bad backgrounds uh, and driving records. Many of those carriers failed. We saw also uh, lessons learned by uh, finance companies that were financing truck driving students that didn't really understand what they were involved with. I think quality has improved greatly. Uh, I think carriers really uh, are, are uh, more focused on who they're hiring and, and uh, as far as background and driving records. So from my perspective, um, focusing on driver retention, uh, a driver-centric focus um, has improved. Uh, of course, pay most recently very significantly over the last couple of years has improved uh, as well. Well, you mentioned that your company was purchased by Warner in 2015. Uh, why did they do that? Um, tell us about how your company and Warner worked together and what changed with your company after the acquisition. Yeah, you know, um, Werner had always had a big hiring uh, relationship with Roadmaster. Um, prior to the acquisition, Werner was hiring the largest percentage of our graduates. It was just a natural um, relationship that formed. Um, after the acquisition, the biggest visible change um, was in equipment. There was no question. Uh, we replaced our entire fleet with newer late model tractors, uh, and anything that wasn't 53 foot was, you know, became a 53 foot trailer. Um, tractors uh, under warranty meant we had less downtime. Um, our 
more recently our students um, train on on equipment with the latest in uh, collision avoidance mitigation systems, lane departure warnings. Um, but we also improve facilities and uh, the training uh, and the curriculum. And that's probably the, the least visible, but uh, students receive a curriculum and training that better matches what, what they're going to expect when they get to the carrier. Uh, so we had better visibility and feedback from the carriers to just change our training to create a uh, improved training environment, um, which leads to better retention and safety. Well, it sounds like a, a, a beneficial relationship for all. And I want to talk a little bit about that roller coaster of the last few years. Um, in spring of 2020, obviously, we saw a lot of layoffs, of cuts in the industry, a few months of just being stagnant, and then an overwhelming need for drivers in the industry to meet demand. So what do you see from your experience on the Roadmaster side? Uh, surge in demand for your services from students, from fleets, from both? Yeah, that was a crazy few years to come through. Um, and, you know, the result of all of those things that happened that you just mentioned um, was just uh, a tremendous period of driver demand. And, and I guess I've heard people say it's now it's like the hangover after the party. Um, we kind of feel that as well. Certainly, uh, we we have uh, jobs for all of the people that we put in school. We don't put people in school unless we have a place for them to go. But uh, certainly, our phones aren't ringing off the hook like they were previously. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I think that's interesting and something to note, um, not putting someone in school unless you have a place for them to go. I, I, you know, certainly from a student perspective, that can be unique. And um, to tie that in, you know, in terms of today, like where does that bring us in the present moment? Um, you know, in terms of demand from carriers, I, I heard you say the phone isn't ringing off the hook. But how does that extend then to your team, your students and your prospective students? Well, so fortunately, we have those long term relationships at Roadmaster so uh, we can uh, properly uh, dial the number of students that we're putting in school to match the number of jobs that are available. And what we've really focused on lately to fill any excess uh, uh, seating would be uh, what's called fleet training or contract training directly with companies that operate their own fleets. Uh, certainly EN ELDT implementation increased that where a lot of carriers were doing some of their own training previously. Once ELDT came in, um, they now contract with us to handle some of that for them. So, um, you know, it's shifted the mix a little bit of, of retail to fleet training, uh, but we're still moving along uh, just as we were before. Well, in case you can't see where I'm going, I'm going to lay it all out. We talked about the last few years. We talked about where we're at today. I want to look at tomorrow. And actually, I'm curious about how folks forecast what they're going to need in the in the near future. Um, I'm a firm believer that when this current freight cycle ends, the slowdown ends, and the next freight and pay cycle begin, there will still be a severe deficit for drivers, just as you mentioned earlier. But I think that it's not only going to rival what we experienced, I think it may even surpass the one that we've had in the last few years. 
There's an age component. Not only is the driver population older uh, than the general workforce, but industry newcomers also generally and significantly older than newcomers in other industries. And then there's that perpetual inability to retain drivers for the long term. So where do those dynamics position a school with a network as big as yours in terms of your ability to recruit students into our industry in nurturing relationships with the trucking companies that hire out of your programs, specifically looking to the next few months and years? Um, when Werner acquired Roadmaster, they ensured that our students would maintain the ability to choose their preferred carrier to work with after graduation. And that that allowed us the flexibility to continue uh, those relationships and work with a variety of carriers that offer opportunities for most of our students that pass through our doors, including drivers of all ages. Um, given the higher average age of drivers, bringing young people into the industry would help combat the shortage. But of course, federal rules prohibit uh, drivers from under the age of 21 from obtaining an interstate CDL. So we're effectively unable to promote to career high school graduates, uh, the career to high school graduates and the trucking industry. So I think we really miss out on a significant population of potential drivers each year. So I think that's certainly something the industry needs to focus on. Definitely agree uh, that we need to start young. And I think I actually believe personally that we can start at the high school level. It just requires an extraordinary commitment from the companies to build a career path that starts before they can actually put them in the seat. And much like we see today with a, a lag in demand, um, you know, some of that commitment just doesn't quite stick always and consistently in our industry. But again, my opinion. So I want to stick with this topic for just one more beat. I work on Sirius XM's Road Dog Trucking Radio. I talk with drivers. I field their calls on air. And drivers have coined a term that frankly just irritates me every time I hear it. And they bring it up all the time. I mentioned it earlier. They either talk about a quote unquote mega carrier or quote unquote starter company, oftentimes uh, being one in the same. These large companies that recruit new entrant drivers and in effect do the hard work of training them so they can be plucked by other companies who only recruit drivers with 18 months or two years or more experience. They provide extraordinary value to the industry and to the economy. They not only haul a lot of freight, they are a vital part of the driver supply pipeline. So when you hear terms like that, mega carrier, starter company, what say you to planting the seed of long-term decisions um, and, you know, by companies and by drivers to set up roots and grow with an organization in the long run? Resulting question, is our industry and its infrastructure even set up for long-term relationships anymore? Well, first of all, I, I agree with you, and I certainly don't, don't like those terms. Um, of course, we align with companies that are willing to invest in the next generation of safe professional truck drivers because companies don't make money on a driver that hasn't been uh, through it all, that training to become productive and safe. Uh, so it's an investment for sure. Um, I mean, er I said before, every driver has to have their first mile and the math isn't there to support uh, average age and demographics of the industry without entry level drivers. So, um, and I I've been part of plenty of ceremonies and panels with 10, 20, 30 year drivers, multi-million milers. So I certainly think the industry is set up for that. Um, and, um, you know, most of our leadership and roadmaster are former drivers, uh, much of the leadership in major trucking companies are former drivers. So there's a career path here that I think people just need to identify. We spend a lot of time, uh, in school 
having our relationships go through, uh, having our students go through the opportunities and think through what's important uh, to that individual and whether it's home time or benefits, compensation, whatever it may be. And we, we tell the students, give the carriers a chance, stick with them unless it's unsafe or someone's telling you to do something unsafe. Um, it's not an easy business. You got to go through those first weeks and those first months, get through six months to a year before you start jumping ship and thinking that it's not right for you because the benefits are there. If you invest in your career, just like many of the other careers, you, you need to invest the time. One of the things that I enjoyed most about the industry in the last few years is that uh, companies would had such a need for drivers that they would create any type of job for every driver. And frankly, uh, one of the challenges that we experience with with less experienced drivers is that one job does not always suit every driver forever, meaning, um, you may work in the same company, but the same priorities of, of which you mentioned, pay, home, um, the lifestyle, you know, where they operate, et cetera, those don't always meet every individual's needs forever. So um, I think we'll get back to that point. As I said, I, I know that we will, um, but certainly it's interesting times now and, and good to hear that you're coaching drivers. Um, I do want to delve further into talking about generational differences. We do ask every guest a question that's similar to this. And I think that's because it's such an important topic in our industry. The largest cohort in the U.S. workforce is millennials. The largest cohort in trucking is Gen X, our generation. But baby boomers are still very active and very vocal in the industry. However, they're aging out, they're wearing out, and they're retiring. Trucking isn't drawing from the most prevalent generations, at least not enough to upset the age factor in our industry. How do we become more accessible to millennials, hot on their heels, Gen Z, which, of course, is entering the workforce in droves, particularly as what's most available to newcomers in the industry, as we've discussed, is more of that longer haul, irregular route, one type job description away from home jobs which require sacrifices that younger generations simply seem to shy away from. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's it's a problem that the industry is going to continue needing to solve. Evolving technology like telematics and tablets are kind of second nature to those younger generations, and they've grown up staying connected to friends and family with social media accounts and, and phones in their hands. So um, I guess in some ways uh, they're prepared for life on the road but we need to continue improving in areas that make the career more attractive to young people. Um, you know, many carriers, as you said, is modified, modified routes to improve home time and pay and benefits have improved over the years, but we need to go beyond making ourselves more attractive. Just younger generations, trucking's been, uh, historically been heavily male dominated, um, women accounting for 47% of the workforce. And yet we've only been able to, uh, get up to about 14% of our professional drivers are women. Um, as a side note, about 21% of our students are women. So I think we're continuing to improve in that area. Um, Hispanics or Latino drivers make up about 18% and black or African-Americans about 15%. All those numbers are growing, but with no pay gap tied to race or gender, uh, the career is ripe for diversification. So, um, you know, Many of these people want to be a part of something, and carriers are developing associate resource groups based on former military background or ethnicity, are giving them a place where people that are like-minded can share experiences. So 
I think the industry is working hard to make itself more attractive to those uh, both younger generations and and other other groups of people. Well, um, being a, a sister company of yours, I can actually attest. I have met with the Werner ARG for women, and um, I, I also know of many companies that admire the percentage of females that work at Werner. Um, and and I personally admired the number that you just recited for uh, female students that are entering your program. So all of that, of course, excites me. And um, further, I would reference that you mentioned both um, no pay gap, not only for gender, but for race as well. And I, I think that that's something to um, to really highlight in in this particular conversation. Um, time for our deeper dive segment. That's an, in, an audience submitted question. In this case, it looks like a couple of questions. And it comes from an HR professional at a mid-sized carrier. I love it because it also ties in with our generations question, which is why I placed it here. Your company has relationships with some of the most solid core trucking companies in the country. I want to hear about your approach to coaxing them to adapt to what the driver of tomorrow is going to want rather than what they've always done. Or do they even adapt? Do you adapt the driver to the culture of trucking or do you adapt the culture of trucking to fit the driver of tomorrow? Yeah, we we adapt the students as much as possible to the culture of trucking the best we can in a relatively short period of time. And that, of course, continues when they, they start an orientation at their carrier and continue their training and, and growth. While we, I, I just don't know how much influence we can have over the culture of trucking in a short period of time. Um, but, but of course, we do that. It's our responsibility to help prepare students and align expectations, they they do have to adapt to a challenging environment uh, very quickly, and so do their families. At, and at the same time, um, we are the voice of students coming in and share what individuals are looking for in a career with our carriers. I found many carriers uh, are much more open to listening and developing solutions than others, whether it's technology or truck amenities or uh, benefits uh, or being a part of resource groups and things like that. But yeah, that's a two-way street. Agreed. Well, I have one last question, and then we can get out of here. I noticed that you are a member of the board and the fundraising chair for Angels Against Abuse. My husband and I have been licensed foster care providers since 2016, and we contribute every year to programs that support older foster children, i.e. folks that age out of the foster care system at the age of 18, much like I did myself. Providing support to helpless children is something that we're obviously passionate about, so share with us what Angels Against Abuse is, how you picked it as a nonprofit to donate your time and energy, and why others should consider supporting that nonprofit or others. Well, um, the mission of the Angels is to build awareness and uh, educate the community um, with regard to existing or potential neglect and, and uh, abuse against children. Uh, it is a Tampa Bay Area uh, charity, um, uh, but we saw a need to provide assistance to children beyond the scope of what's available to them. Uh, basic services that are covered by the foster care system. So uh, we have a number of different programs that that help them uh, uh, immediately upon their removal from home due to a, um, a, a, a bad situation. Um, and, and we also continue that support once they've already been removed. Um, we provide goods and services and uh, other types of help to uh, reduce the trauma of home removal. Okay. Well, uh, Brad, I want to thank you for joining us. It was an insightful conversation. I enjoyed it. I hope you did too. And I want to thank you for sharing all of that great information with us. Anytime. Thank you so much to have me. 
You're welcome. And thanks to you for joining me on another episode of Taking the Higher Road. Remember, you can submit any questions or comments, including those that appear on the upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. And don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you listen, especially if I host it. Until next time, thank you for taking the higher road.